Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we give coaches and consultants practical ideas for taking you to the next level in your business and in your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who've walked in your shoes and offer real-world experience that you can apply to your own journey. Welcome to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and today I am excited to welcome back for a second interview, Dr. Oleg Konovalov, and I am so excited to get to go deeper with him into his brand new book, The Vision Code. Um, Oleg was with me on episode 46 when we talked about his earlier book, Leaderology. And so welcome back, Oleg. Meredith, thank you very much. I'm really grateful and honored to be on your show. I love talking to you. Thank you. Oh, well, it's such a pleasure talking to you too. Oleg is a font of wisdom in this topic of vision. And so it's going to be a great conversation today. A little bit of background, though, first, Oleg is a global thought leader, author, business educator, and consultant with over 25 years of experience operating businesses and consulting with Fortune 500 companies internationally. He's been known, named by Marshall Goldsmith as the Da Vinci of Visionary leadership. And today you're going to find out why he deserves that title. I love that title. He's also the number one global leading coach among Marshall Goldsmith's 100 coaches. So Oleg, I'm looking forward to diving in. I will tell you that your book was so rich in this whole topic of vision that I I have more questions than we can possibly get into today. And so I'm going to be keeping my listeners in mind because vision is one of those um, words that you and I were talking about earlier can be so conceptual and seem so big that many people don't even want to look at it. And what I loved about your book is you made it understandable and practical because you didn't just talk about the importance of it, you talk about how to execute on a vision. And I think that's very powerful. Yes, yeah, because vision we tend to, it's became like such a word, when we talk burger, we probably put more sense into it. When we talk vision, oh, it's something on a wall. No, it's something that defines how we would live. It would define how purposeful is our life, how it's meaningful uh, in terms of private or business life. It's about our evolution because it defines uh, the way how we would think. It defines how we'll be judged by the next generation. It defines what we're about to achieve for others and for ourselves. It's it's not just a broad concept. It's very pragmatic. It's very functional. Therefore, it, it was important to talk how to execute it in a very practical way. Mm-hmm. Not just, in, oh, it is important. No, 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 no. I came from the fishing industry background. I need to know, okay, did you got a fish? Yes. If no, go back to sea and get something real. Well, one of the things that makes your book really stand out and come to life even more is you identified 
probably more than 19, but you included 19 different leaders throughout the world in your book where you got their perspectives on vision and how they bring it to their respective organizations. And I found that really fascinating, the different perspectives. Talk a little bit about why you decided to take that approach rather than just your own wisdom on this topic. The key word is wisdom. It's nothing about just me. It's about getting a collective reason, collective experience and share it. Because every of these visionaries with whom I have talked, they are unique. Marshall Goldsmith, John Spence, Amit Kapoor, Noel Ferguson, David Katz, just name them. They are all brilliant. And it's about was important for me to open a window in a way how they think and act, how they create their vision, why it is important for them, what's an algorithm they're creating, or how they think uh, in terms of how they're focused, how they, they make decisions. It was very important to look at this. Wisdom It's something, it's an ability to connect seemingly unconnected dots and create something meaningful out of it. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just about being smart. Another thing, uh, as another criteria was, for instance, somebody said to me another day, why didn't I talk to like Elon Musk or Bill Gates? I said, look, what's your chance to talk to or to meet Elon Musk and talk to him or approach him or send him a message? Zero or next to zero where I could send a message to any of these guys who are in my book and get a response. And, you know, so they're real. They're just walking around us or, you know, with us. You could meet him in a coffee shop or on airplane. And that makes that human touch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what it sounds like you're talking about are people that are not necessarily celebrities in the world. And I think that's important to make them and some of them, of course, are well known within their respective industries and the business community at large. Yeah. But I think what you're really getting at is they're relatable. People, you know, it's the idea that visionaries aren't born, and that was an important point you made. They develop Great. themselves over time. And so, what are some of the things that you saw, you know, taking these individuals either? And as individuals or as a group, what are some of the things that they have done to develop that ability to be a visionary? Let's take Marshall Goldsmith as a great example. Mm-hmm. I learn a ton every time I talk to him. He is a father of modern leadership coaching. It was his decision to live a meaningful life to its highest purpose. Mm. That's, so it stands on a firm decision to do something beyond ordinary. He did it. He was focused purely on that. If you talk to Marshall and talk about different topics, it would be clear, clear. I'm an expert on this. I'm not an expert on this. He's very, very focused, and, and therefore, he's very good at what he does. So it's decision, and it's a focus. And it's a strong commitment 
to create a value for others. I learned a simple but very powerful lesson from him. Learn as much as you can, help as much as you can. It's when you have vision, you do everything beyond yourself and therefore you become like a source of inspiration. You're not just a motivational speaker pushing people for some kind of a you know, short push. It's about inspiring others and helping others to inspiring the next circle of people. And that is so powerful. You're living beyond yourself. You're earning something phenomenal. That's mm-hmm. great. That's great. It kind of gives me chills listening to you talk about that because you're talking about impact that even if it's, it is in a narrow focused way, you can have a tremendous impact on the people around you and then who they interact with. And one of the key things I love that you really emphasize it throughout the book is the importance of setting aside your ego. Talk about why that is so critical when it comes to setting and executing an effective vision. And that's is ego is the greatest killer of vision. Actually, we assume that some external forces, some kind of external things uh, are about to kill our vision. No, we are the greatest killers. And ego kills vision instantly because I don't see the world. I'm blind. I don't see people. I don't want to create a value for them. I would put it in this. It's from the moment of creation because vision comes when your conscious awareness of a problem you want to solve for the benefit of others reaches its peak. Mm-hmm. It's not about my personal ambitions. I want to be a billionaire. No one would be attracted by it. No one will. It's your fury. But if I will do something for people, they will support me. And I think, for instance, even if we talk about communicating vision or influencing vision, it's a matter not just how to talk about your vision. It's about how I make others the co-owners of that vision. Mm-hmm. And if I'm purely egocentric, I wouldn't be keen to make others the co-owners of my vision. So I'm immediately left on my own. And I would be telling to my wife, sitting in the kitchen and crying, wiping my tears and saying, people don't want to follow my vision. I'm so great. Crap. Because it's nothing for people in it. Therefore, ego is a killer. Mm -hmm. We all have ego. Well, right, we're humans. But it's a matter how I keep it controlled on a short leash. Mm -hmm. That's such an important point. And thinking about the different leaders that you've spoken to and just your own experience working with leaders in so many different organizations, what are some of the things that you see them do effectively to really inspire others to buy into this vision or even help co-create it so that they stick with it when the going gets rough? This ties in with your points about execution. Yeah, it's about really, really being focused on what you do and you're maintaining a strong will towards it. You, Because if you're jumping from side to side, you, your people would be just like questioning what they do. So you must share your vision. You must be really focused. You must be clear on, uh, on uh, defining a direction where people go. And that sets another uh, strong factor 
you're enabling decision making. You how to make how to set up as an effective decision making. You should make your people free by giving them a direction. When they know the direction, they're good at decision making. It's uh, they know where to go and how their decision make those things closer to the achievement of vision. And when, from a point of view of corporate culture, I would say culture is a productive interaction interruption of people wrapped into a shared vision. It's again, it's another glue that makes people more effective, more productive working together. So it's all about this, where we go. And what happens? People are, what I have found, people are more prepared to commit if they see a great goal in which they see their place in that future. Mm-hmm. It's not like for a daily routine task. Okay, move from point A to point B. Send that paper or send this email. Nothing about this. I'm committed and I invo- feel involved and I'm honored to do something that would impact my future, my own future. Mm-hmm. And that's about loyalty because I'm loyal because I believe in the future of this company and my future with this company, even knowing that we have problems. But it's okay. There are no ideal companies in the world. No, no perfect companies. So it's something beyond the present. And this is a leader's role to show people their place in that future that mm-hmm. I'm creating for them mm-hmm. and roll out the red carpet for them today. Mm-hmm. For them to, to be on it now. Yes. Yeah. And so what's coming to my mind is they help paint a clear picture for the person. So it isn't vague. It's not general. It's not fantasy. It's grounded in reality, but it's, it's the ability to describe this greater future. And it reminds me, Oleg, of the distinction you made that I really liked in the book between just basic communicating about it, but really sharing. Yes. That. And so talk That's a a magic. More about that. That's a magic. Because we can, what I have, I've been thinking, okay, what's the difference or is it a difference? When we talk communicating vision and sharing vision, because we use it as a say is a similar term. No, 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 something wrong with that. And I was digging deep. Uh, it was great conversation with John Spence. He's fantastic at this. You know, and of course, a number of different people. And I say, okay, we communicate facts, but we share emotions and stories. And it's not just about sharing those stories. I'm making people as a part of that story. It's like watching a great movie and saying, oh, that's cool movie, but I want to be a hero on that screen. And I'm making these people heroes of that story. Mm. And they're proud to share it. And it, it's multiplies the, it helps to multiply their passion of being involved in this vision. They're committing not just their bodies, minds, but they're committing their souls to it. Mm -hmm. And they're spreading that influence further and further. And you know what's interesting? When we talk about control, that's, I believe it's overexcited term. Control is an illusion unless people 
feel responsible for the quality of execution. Mm. And that leads to real control. How to make it? Get people really committed to it and feel mm-hmm. responsible, feel being a part of it. That's quite important. It really is. And I love what you're saying there because it's, you know, sometimes, especially, I, and tell me if this is true, sometimes in these industries that we might think of as more left brain, like engineering, there would be maybe an assumption that, okay, if we explain everything logically, then people will buy into it and, you know, get on board. But what I hear you saying and what was in your book throughout was this idea of touching people's hearts and really, you know, getting them to emotionally buy in. Is, would you say that's equally as important or even more important than, the, say, the logical buy-in? I'll give you an example. Vision is like a little planet, a new planet that we create in that future reality. It's, yeah, it's not easy to, to define it in kind of a very logical forms, but it's, but you still assign it properties, qualities, traits of that future. Mm-hmm. Or oh, multidimensional space in the future where you invite people to be. And this is, they see something much greater than they are and they think yes i want to be there can you explain it very logically well probably yes but better leave it for people to feel it Mm -hmm. and really feel passionate for it they're really excited to be there and they will do it it's greater goal causes inspiration and inspiration makes this goal even greater it's like eternal cycle, right? That people feel that they do something more important than they, I don't know, they do something meaningful. We're living in a meaningless life. Mm-hmm. It's our obligation to make it meaningful. And when people see that they do something meaningful and beyond themselves, they are becoming giants. Well, I loved the story, I think it was in your communication chapter, about your visit to the National Geographic Museum. And I would love for you Trust to share me, I'm that. I'm trying to, to, to find a contacts for their leaders because they're fantastic. Uh, just I want to share the book and say thank you to them. It was a name, I believe its person was named Jackie, but I'm questioning myself. And I was uh, like 40 minutes before they were closing and I went in and I was amazed for those 40 minutes. For me, it was just like a blast of discovery. They made it fantastic. And logic was very simple. If their vision is simple as simple. They brought the best photos of nature into real something. You almost could touch it and feel being in that because it's a huge two by three meters those well-known photos which we see in, in uh, all that newspapers and magazines or on mm-hmm. the internet, like a small prince. But when you see them in a huge size, like real, and they made not just celebrating great works of those photographers, but they're celebrating the view, how we see that world around us. Mm-hmm. So, 
it's phenomenal. But the, the most important thing, how these ladies in that gallery, they talked about it. They literally put me through inside there of their vision. And mm. I was just amazed. That was most important. Okay, great work. Okay, but I will probably say, okay, cool, nice. It's like being in any mu museum or gallery. But the way they brought me through was phenomenal. And my real, you know, kudos to all these guys who created those galleries, a chain of galleries as far as I know. It was a brilliant example of a simple, straightforward vision that opened people's hearts. Mm -hmm. And their vision is to really connect people with the natural world, right? Yes. To help them greater appreciate the world around us, awesome. the people and the other elements of nature. Oh, yeah. And uh, when you see, I love nature. I spent a lot of time in wild Arctic, in, in, in the forests, on the rivers, at sea. But it's like getting back to those things without changing your suit. Mm. <laughs> you know, you're immersing in something, again, huge, powerful, incredible. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, not just me, I was shocked. And therefore, I just put it immediately into the book. Well, you know, what struck me is they do a phenomenal job, not just getting their employees to buy into their vision, but the employees are so passionate about it. They get you and the other people who visit the museum yeah. to buy into it, right? This is an excellence of communication that makes it powerful because what we always say, uh, I have a little, you know, through my book, you probably notice it's a, a pile of different forms, questionnaires, which helps people to testify, to build a vision and things like that. Make it practical. And one of the questions, can your employees tell their families about what they do in terms of vision without losing its meaning? It must be simple. Mm -hmm. Quite often people think, oh, yeah, yeah, I work for a great company. What do you do? Well, we do great things. What kind of great things? Well, we do great. That's it. It's lost. If you can't communicate it through without losing its meaning, it's a problem. But it was done brilliantly. That's great. Well, you know, what I'm thinking about as I'm hearing you describe that is the power of repetition, right? A, a visionary leader doesn't just state and help evolve a vision and stay at one time, it becomes a part of how the organization lives and breathes, right? It's, I would say it defines organizational lifestyle. And you talk and you walk and you do this lifestyle in a way how organization behave, how it acts, mm -hmm. how everything is done. It's it's not just a, a boring routine. Mm -hmm. It's a very meaningful way of living for organization. And I like that. It's yeah. very valuable for people to be in it. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what you're really saying there? It isn't something 
a behavior you turn on and turn off. It's just your whole way of being as a part of working in that organization because you have um, bought into in a big way with your heart and mind what the organization stands for and where it wants to go. Uh, well, it's just beyond because, for instance, quite often we say, okay, we must work on a strategy. If we don't have a vision, strategy is a bridge to nowhere. Mm-hmm. After we're just putting, okay, fantastic 20, 20 years plan, strategic plan. Within a few years, no one of a team who were involved in creating that plan is doesn't don't work in the company anymore because somebody retired, somebody changed the job, and things like that. But when we look through the lens of vision, we say vision is our impact on the next generation, which is the same 20 years time. And therefore, everyone in the company feels responsible for it. Mm. And that is far beyond those plans, bottom lines, all those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know any person who will be attracted by the promises of a great bottom line. (laughs) Right. Oh, you know, you should work for us because next quarter we might end up with a good profit. Cool. But if I would say, okay, within next year or two, whatever, we'll achieve that goal, that would make a very different impact. That's something to go for. That's a good distinction. So thinking about executing a vision, let's say the vision is the the company, the folks there have come up with a really great um, vision of where they want to go. What are two or three things that tend to derail folks or derail the organization getting in the way of really pursuing that vision? First problem, which I call the leadership blindness, Less than 0.1% of modern leaders have vision. There are more of pretenders because it's, and there are a number of factors behind it. First, too many pleasers. They don't know, leaders don't know where to go and therefore they're trying to find a consensus. I need a consensus where, when I don't know where I'm going. Mm. Would you like to go left or right? That direction, jump up. No, 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 no. If I know where to go, I need to be firm and strict because I promise that you will be there under my leadership. Nothing about consensus. Personal ambitions. They'll drive everything off a cliff because uh, we know examples when fantastic, phenomenal, great companies were went boost because their leaders were just pleasing themselves. Mm-hmm. It's back to ego. Because mm-hmm. personal ambition in this sense, oh, I want to be just number one. It's nothing to be about number one. What kind of impact you could make, positive value you could bring to people, that would be a result. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's about ability to lead people into a real future, not just from report to report, because... Uh, we have a very tough legacy from uh, corporations from 50s and 60s of the previous century, 
where so that everything should be very firm, very certain. Mm. When mm-hmm. we're talking about creating the future, nothing is certain. Your vision is only certain. Mm. You know that you should go from comfort zone to uncertainty to reach that comfort zone of certain achievement to live it quick as quickly as possible again. Mm-hmm. Where old approaches always say you need to be in a comfort zone to feel comfortable, secured. Look, we got a COVID, a great example. All those guys who are rested in their comfort zone are suffering now. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. So there are quite a number of things. And if you're not building your direction, what I'm saying, life is not a place for live, but a path we take. And to create that path is a duty of leaders. If I'm not creating that path, not developing it, why I'm named a leader? I'm a problem solver. Okay, we have all of the guys around the world could say I'm a problem solver. But it's about creating a future. Mm -hmm. Another big problem, what I call a mind lock. If I travel between continents, we'll face jet lock or time lock. But we could quickly recover from it. But when we talk about leadership, you can't create the future with uh, your mentality turned into the past. It's about creating the future. Mm. Whatever happened, it's happened. Built up on your experience. But think about the future. And here people are not very much prepared for it. Mm-hmm. And so many leaders are resting on their previous successes, which can be a big trouble. Mm-hmm. I can see that um, because what, what the whole thing of taking risk because when you are, when you have an exciting vision, you don't know exactly how you're going to get there. That's that's the whole idea, right? Behind a vision is you're you want to you see a place to go that's never been um, gotten to before. Yeah. <laughs> so. uh, look, you even need to create what I'm always suggesting is to create a new language. Mm-hmm. If you're about to explore a new planet, let's set a new dictionary for it. Give people new words for them to understand. Hey, that is for this planet. Mm -hmm. That is for this space. And people could read it and understand it. But it's not just about risk. But when you really see that picture, a real picture, a real state of that future that we aim to achieve, yeah, it might take a bit longer to gain it, but... It should be really, really reachable. Mm-hmm. You can't promise something. Uh, you know, I was brought up in the co- communist Soviet Union. We all were promised that within a certain, quite but distant future, we might live well. I'm fed up of those promises. And it's something real is in five, ten years. And people as well. People are all similar. We want something real as quickly as possible. So... David Katz, 
he was thinking about how to solve this problem with the plastic waste in the ocean quite for a while. But as soon as his project started, he collects millions of kilos of that plastic waste from the ocean. People get wealthier or better off who works with him, you know, ocean gets cleaner and that's real and it happens every day. So people should gain a value of that journey every day. Mm-hmm. It's not a promise that it would be great in whatever, 40, 50 years time. No, 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 now. Right. So you're looking at things people can do. And that's another <clears throat> chapter that I thought was interesting in terms of making it real. <clears throat> you emphasize the importance of metrics. Oh. You know, to be able to tell, are we getting there or not? So talk a little bit about what you mean by metrics. What types of metrics are meaningful when we're pursuing a vision? I would start with what types of metrics I see as meaningless. I see KPIs as meaningless because it's, again, nothing about me. And it's nothing about value for people. It's some kind of a ticket box thing. Mm -hmm. Metrics, what people will get as a result of that vision. Better life, better quality of problem eradicated or something like that. Because my promises are my metrics. And execution of vision will be judged against those metrics. You know, it's it wouldn't be wise to share, uh, to promise people that all people on the planet will be happy or well-educated. It doesn't work because I wouldn't deliver this promise. But I will say, okay, I will help, I don't know, like junior achievement, that's fantastic, uh, charity. They have clear metrics. They're helping 11 million of young prof- people to get their first profession. So they're making them ready for a professional life. It's very clear metric. Mm-hmm. How it's impactful, how it's valuable. That's clear. Even if they, okay, they might do one year 10 million, another year 12 million, but they, they're growing. They, they grow every year. I think that's such a fabulous <clears throat> example it's where it's they're great. really trying to impact future workers, future leaders yeah. in, exactly. in the world, because they yeah. are in so many, what, over 100 countries now. Yeah, uh, Noel Ferguson, it's Institute of One World Leadership. They have a huge program now to help uh, young people to become natural leaders. Metrics are there. That's what they do. Why not? It's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And you can't see those KPIs or bottom lines because they're not attracting anyone. Well, I liked the question that you posed as a way of one type of metric, which was what can be done better? Because what you're talking about there is, you know, making these improvements over time. So why did you choose that question? Why do you see it being so valuable? It's not about being a perfectionist, but you must improve your vision and give it a new press 
a new fresh breath, a new energy all the time by adding more meaning. Mm -hmm. and so more meaning means more energy. It becomes, when you're scaling your vision, it's not about geogra geography. Mm -hmm. It's about added value. Why the how you could use that product or solution in a different ways. Therefore, you must rethink it all the time. You must allow it growing. Mm -hmm. And that becomes even stronger. And it attracts more people. It's yeah, that whole expansion. And as we're getting close to time here, I, I don't want to miss what you talked about, because this, again, was woven throughout, but you had certain chapters really focused on it, the personal vision, the personal growth that's possible when you embrace a vision for yourself. If I can't grow, I wouldn't grow my vision. Vision is bigger than me, bigger than the organization, but to manage it, to lead it, I must grow all the time. Uh, and it's about both thinking, it's about inner excellence, about learning, it's about confidence, it's about creating a knowledge bank involving others. It's quite important. But how people quite often, they are puzzled because they think corporate vision and your personal life vision are different things. Mm. Not correlating, you will be in real trouble, in real distress. Your values still need to be there. Uh, your vision is about if you're making something meaningful, you must see your family being involved in this, your business being meaningful. It's quite important to connect those things. Mm -hmm. They're not disconnected. They're not um, things in a separate way. And again, if you can't make your personal life meaningful, how you could make your business life meaningful? Yeah, that's a good point. You mentioned yourself that uh, it was towards the, I think it was the last chapter where you talked about you'd had your own, I don't know if it was a crisis, but challenging time when you kind of lost your way around your own vision. So I think it would be helpful for my listeners because we all get derailed. What was it that helped you get back on track? Oh, yeah, it was a quite a tough moment in my life, really tough. Uh, and it was, I do remember this moment like it was happening like yesterday or today, this morning. Uh, I remember even a place where I sat, what I was having a coffee and, you know, I said, okay, what is greater, my problems or my goals? Because we tend to think about it, that our problems would kill everything. No, if you have really great goals, you're not bothered about problems. But that's a question, what is what is greater? If you surrender yourself to your problems, you're done. But if you think, no, I'm conquering my goals, you will ignore your problems. Such an important perspective. What you focus on, right, is how you're going to feel and what, what kind of energy you're going to have. And certainly having something to be excited about and look forward to is a more positive thing to get to. But how did you make that shift 
from the problem, which was apparently really big and, you know, kind of occupying your whole mind at that moment, what was necessary to make that shift to your, back to your goal? Think for a moment. Problems are always around us. They're like midges. They're all around us. They're sucking a blood from us. But when you have a good, great goal, you're ignoring those midges. You just keep going. You go strong. When we're thinking about problems, we're saying, ah, to solve that problem, I need this. To solve this problem, I need that. And so on. You just, you suffer. You suffer because you think I need so much of resources. I need so much of energy. I don't have it, so it's insolvable. When you have a great goal, you don't need much resources. You need just a focus. And the resources will come. Yeah. You know, I'm very keen salmon fisherman, but uh, catching fish in Arctic, you're not just driving to a pool. You're driving somewhere, and then you're walking long distance. And you really, really walk a lot through, you know, quite a tough terrain. At the beginning, when you don't know what to do, your backpack is very, very heavy with mm. different things which you don't use. So it's those meaningless resources which you would not use, but you're wasting your time, your energy, your money on this. When you got experience, your backpack is absolute, or almost empty. Because you just took only those few things which are critical. Mm -hmm. You could walk long distances, you will catch your fish, you'll get back to your car happy and enjoying your day. And the same, when I know clearly when I go, I don't need those things, mm -hmm. which becomes a heavy accessories that we can't throw away because, oh, they cost us money. No. Yeah, I'm just thinking about how many times we feel like, oh, we need this in order to prepare or that in order to prepare before we can do this or that to come up with a vision. Whereas, like you're saying, just look at the bare essentials that are required in order to get started and, and jump forward with those. Oh, look, we could keep talking about this. I told you I had so many questions for you. But um, in the interest of time, we need to wrap up. And so I would love for you to let people know how they can connect with you, find you online and get a copy of the vision code. Because I know oh. they want to read it after this conversation. The vision code is there. <laughs> uh -huh. Thank you. Uh, happy to connect on LinkedIn. They could go on my website, olegkanavalov.com. I do course on visionary leadership. Uh, visionary leadership coaching certification course uh, they could buy uh, the vision code on Amazon Barnes and Noble 800 sales oh they called porch light books these days uh, you know so more or less everywhere I know it's in a big number of local bookstores in the UK in the USA even somebody told me today that they ordered a book in a local bookstore in Paris so oh it's, cool it's, yeah <laughs> that's great yeah, it's everywhere now. And something I'm always happy to communicate if send me a message on LinkedIn or through email. I'm happy to connect. Oh, because that's great. I always say if people think about vision in a real sense, they, they're courageous enough. And I'm really happy to talk with these people because mm -hmm. they're thinking 
not about today. They're thinking about tomorrow. Mm-hmm. My job or my role is simple. I help people to become the masters of the future. Oh, perfect. That's a great way to wrap up. And I do want to encourage all of my listeners to pick up a copy of your book because it really is the best treatment I've ever seen on this topic. It's very um, comprehensive and yet very reachable, doable, practical. And so thank you. And I want to just thank you for all the great work you're doing in the world, Oleg. I love the influence that you are having with others, inspiring them to create visions that actually work. And I'm, I am blessed receiving quite a number of responses, people saying it works and we made it phenomenal. And I, I'm blessed. Thank you. Thank you. We'll talk Thank again soon. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now, head over to growstrongleaders.com slash free and grab our ebook, Listen Like a Pro. You'll find out how to connect on a deeper level with the people who matter to you. And while you're there, check out our two books, Connect with Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.